God, as we open up your truth, I need your spirit to move me to the side, my pride to the side, my ego to the side, and just take over. Just take over. Because he has to do it. My sermon or illustrations or stories, they, 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 they have no power. The power is your spirit who takes the road of truth and apply it to our hearts. And this is always our prayer as we come to the preaching of your word. For you to move, spirit. For you to move in a mighty way. You work along with the word and alongside of the word. And if we're going to hear and apply it to our hearts, you got to move. And I ask you to move in Christ's name. Amen. Living out our faith in a world that is not our own. This is what James is going to show us in his letter. And he begins with faith and trials. That's what we're going to talk about today. Faith and trials. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. Trials of various kinds. Notice that James says, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Trial is referring to an outward trial. It's something that a person actually is going through in their life. He wants us to know it's not a matter of if. It's not a matter of if. But when you encounter trials. They can occur at any time. At any moment. In any circumstance. In any situation. There's an old saying that says, I don't go looking for trouble. Trouble sometimes find me. The same is true with trials. You ain't got to go looking for them. Trust me, they'll find you. Eventually. Live life long enough, trials will come. Many of you are face to face with a trial now, even as I preach. And how are you dealing? So you can't avoid them. You can't shelter yourself or your kids from them. One believer says, from our childhood to the retirement home, trials are constant. From our childhood to the retirement home, trials are constant. Basically, till you go to the grave, trials are constant. Constant reality for all of us. Your faith will encounter trials. Do you believe that? Do you see that? All of us here live as believers. We, we, we live and believe the words of this old song that says, Ooh, child, things are going to get easier. Ooh, child, things are going to get brighter. We always believe that. We interpret those words to mean, Ooh, child, one day I'm going to have a trial-free life. Think about parenthood. I live on the illusion that the next phase is always going to be easier. And some parents have told me that. Oh, it'd be easier when they get older. <laughs> Is that true? You just trade one trials for another set of trials, basically. See, life, life is two-faced. Well, what do you mean by that, Alex? With one face, we have those good times of life when all is well. And we begin to assume and to expect that all is going to always be well. But then life shows us this other face. 
that bad phase of life, when things seem to fall apart. It's almost like you are a rope, you are a rope in a tug of war between good times and bad times. You're being pulled back and forth emotionally, spiritually, physically, and mentally. You think about your life. It's, it's like you're in a maze, in and out of good times and bad times. That's life. And as believers, if we are truly honest with ourselves, then we will admit that we want our faith in Christ to eliminate that struggle. We want our faith in Christ to eliminate that tug of war. If we're truly honest, we want our faith to bulletproof us from the bad face of life. Bulletproof me. We want our faith to bulletproof and fireproof our marriages, our kids, our jobs, our lifestyles, our comforts, our pleasures, our churches, our ministries from the bad face of life. Men, why do you go to men conferences and read books about being a godly husband and father? Why? Women, why do you go to women's conferences and read books about being a godly wife and a godly mother? There's nothing wrong with these things. I'm simply asking you, what do you want those things to do for you? Is it to fireproof you from the bad face of life? Or is it to disciple you on how to respond to the bad face of life? as well as the good face of life. Which is it? It's all about your intent. What are you using those things for? To fireproof you or to disciple you? Our problem is that we only see the bad face of life as trial. The hardships. The sufferings. A victim of child abuse. Financial difficulty. Death of a loved one. Medical problems. Losing your job. Relational difficulties, the consequences of sin. We see all those as trial, but we often forget, the good, forget that the good face of life is a trial too, as well. Do you know, believe that? Good times of life can be a trial as well. Financial stability can be a trial. Having obedient kids, responsible kids, employment, whatever. All of life is a trial. James says when you encounter trials of various kinds, the good face of life is part of that equation. For example, one author says, if the economy is thriving and the company is growing, our work is respected, there's too much to do, then the trial becomes overwork and exhaustion. You're tired and you're overworked. Trial in a good economy. Good times are trials as well. Then there's the other side. I have a friend who still to this day is dealing with some of the effects of his past childhood suffering. He grew up in a violent home. On the outside, his family looked good and healthy, but behind closed doors, it was chaos, a nightmare. He, to this day, still struggles with fear and anxiety because of what he went through as a kid. He always feels the hammer is getting ready to drop. What's my point? All of life is a trial. All of it. So we got to stop searching for fool's gold called easy. It's a fool's gold. There's no such thing. It does not exist. The reality is that we have to embrace and come to terms with this reality as we strive to live out of faith and empower the Holy Spirit. Our faith will encounter trials. And secondly, our faith is tested by those trials. 
the trials you go through, we're going to go through, test our faith. This is what James says, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's the purpose behind the trial that you encounter. When you come to know Jesus, nothing challenges and strengthens your faith like trials. As one believer says, in trials our faith is proven to be genuine faith. Testing on the trials proves your faith. How is gold refined? It's not refined in water and fire. The same is true about our faith. God refines us in the fire trial, not in comfort, not in pleasure, not in easiness. You see, he handles our trials faultlessly and sovereignly, both at the same time. He oversees you through them. He uses them to produce in you steadfastness. And what does that mean? It's perseverance. It's endurance. It's staying power. It's not passive, but as, but as one Christian said, it's a militant patience. I love that. A militant patience is where you have an engaged waiting. Is you having fortitude in the midst of trials. Is you having courage in the midst of pain. Being, being committed, steady, single-minded, uncompromising. It's to endure unpleasant and difficult circumstances like trial without giving up. That's steadfastness. It's you actively and strongly clinging to the gospel no matter what life throws at you. Because it's going to throw a lot at you. And you clinging to Jesus will get you through. Every moment, in every circumstance. In this, Paul says the Christian life it's like running a race. And in this race, your faith is going to encounter trials that are going to test you, but it's going to produce in you steadfastness, endurance, perseverance, fortitude. This steadfastness, according to John, he says, let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What does that mean? Here James is saying, don't deny trial. Don't deny it. Don't try to flee from them. He wants you to let the process continue to have its work in your life. Being complete and perfect, lacking in, the good, lacking in nothing, what does that mean? It means you will grow in maturity. That's what those terms mean. Christian character. The full effect of steadfastness is seen in Romans 5, 3 and 4. It says, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you believe that? We can mature and grow through trial. And we're not abandoned in the midst of them either. Trials lead to a well-rounded virtue, says one believer. Well-rounded virtue. When have you grown the most in your faith? Those of you who have been Christians for a long time, when have you grown the most? Isn't it always through some hardship that God has brought you through? Some difficulty that he's brought you through? Trials, and they force us to cling to Jesus more. They make us long for heaven more. I know for me it does. They make us more sensitive and compassionate to the others who struggle. 
God does not, God does make, mold, and shape us through trial. Remember, he handles them flawlessly and sovereignly. Our faith encounters trials. Our faith is tested by trials. And our faith counts trials all joy. This is the response that James wants us to have. But in reality, is that the first response? Hmm? Unless you're just some super saint, Christian. I'm suffering, so I'm joyful. In reality, I'm talking about reality. In real life, what is your first response in the midst of trial? I mean, you're in the midst of some intense pain. Your initial response may be frustration. But just be real. Fear, hopelessness, doubt, anger, bitterness. Right? All of us here have asked ourselves, why is this happening to me? I went to church, I went to Sunday school, did all these things. Why is this happening to me? I'm the only one that's ever asked that question. Okay, why is God punishing me? Why doesn't God like me? I wish the enemy would get off my back. I hate life in a fallen, broken world. That's my favorite one. I hate life in a fallen and broken world. I know this sermon sounds good in theory, but it's so hard to practice. Because in the midst of painful trial, what do you say to yourself? What do you say to someone? What do you tell someone who's been abused and hurt? What do you say to someone who just lost a loved one? Who just lost a job? What do you say to someone who, who struggles to, to, to be a good parent and to provide for their family? What do you say to someone whose marriage is on the rocks? What do you say to someone who struggles with loneliness? I mean, what do you say? Do you take in the first James 1 and say, hey, you should count all joy, brother. I mean, suck it up. Count it all joy. That's what James says. Count it all joy. Brother, when you count on various trials of various kinds, just count it all joy. No. When someone is in some intense trial, he or she is not ready to hear that. I know I'm not. They're not ready to hear you talk about Christian maturity being produced in them. At that moment, they ain't counting it all joy. At that moment, they're not. That person's not ready to hear that. And many times, the best thing you can say is nothing. Just be a source of comfort and safety for the other person. You see, before you can count it all joy, you need to know God is still there. You see, they can't count it joy to thinking God is not there. They can't count it joy to think God is punishing them. They can't count it all joy to think they've been abandoned. Because that's what we think. That I'm alone. If I know I'm not alone, then maybe I can count it all joy. But that's where we are to miss an intense trial. God is punishing me for something. What did I do wrong? They need to be reminded that they are not alone. In her book, Trauma and Recovery, Judith Herman has a quote from a soldier who was in the Vietnam War. 
He describes his loss of faith. Listen to what he says. I could not rationalize my mind of how God could let good men die. I had gone to several priests. I was sitting there with one priest, and I said, Father, I, I don't understand this. How, how does God allow small children to be killed? What is this thing, this war, this blank, blank? I got all these friends who are dead. The priest looked at me, looked me in the eyes and said, I don't know, son. I've never been in war. I said, I didn't ask you about war. I asked you about God. That's the question. You, if you, when you come to some intense trial, that's a question you're going to ask. Where is God? How could God allow this to happen? Where is he? Has he abandoned me? Has he left me alone? Where are you? Does he care? The answer is yes. Amen. Yes, he cares about what you go through and what you're dealing with. Remember, Jesus knows what it's like. He knows about trials. He knows about being abandoned by friends. He knows. He too suffered greatly on the cross. And you know why he did that? For you. So he can reconcile you to the Father. So you will not be abandoned to eternal damnation. That's why he did it. God promises us many things in life but never a life free from hurt, pain, loss, or disappointment. Instead, he comforts and shepherds us through them. And he does it through his church, through his people. See, James is not saying count trials joys, but the joy is knowing that your heavenly Father is at work in the midst of you. That's the joy. That's the joy. That, hey, he has my back. He is the wind beneath my wings in the midst of what I'm going through. And that's what you got to run to when you meet these trials to his promises. That somehow, I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to work it to my good and for his glory. Do you believe it? Remember, you might not be in something now, but you will be. Trust me, you will be. I don't care where you live, how much money you got, or lack of money. One day, you will be in a midst of a trial. And you're going to ask yourself all these questions. Where is God? And I'm telling you, he's where he's always been, in your corner. In your corner. A successful Chicago businessman who lost all of his real estate holdings by a fire in 1871 as a result, he planned to move his wife and his four daughters to Jerusalem. So he booked his family on a ship from New York to France. But the husband was called back to Chicago to tie up some loose ends. So his family continued on without him. He was going to meet up with them in a few weeks. As the ship made its way across the Atlantic, it collided with another ship and it sunk within minutes. Just like that. The businessman lost his four daughters in this accident. His wife survived. 
she sent him a telegram that contained two words, saved alone. Saved alone. As he sailed to meet his wife, contemplating the loss of his children, he was inspired to write these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea bellows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let us pray. Father God, I, I thank you that even in the midst of loss, heart and pain, you can make it well with our soul. I don't know if I would have been able to write those words, Father, if I didn't have a strong assurance that you were still good in the midst of loss like that. We need to know you, Lord, more than anything else in all creation. To know that you are there. To know that we are not alone. And Father, as we go out and meet the different trials in our life. Give us the power through your spirit to work through them. To know that we can get through them and we will because of your spirit and because of your great power. And I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. And I thank you for being an awesome God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.